Good morning, church, and Merry Christmas. It's great to see you guys today and to be with you, uh, to be able to uh, celebrate with you uh, the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, you think about our world, I was telling first service that, you know, in our world, people are uh, living in fear, and there's a lot of hopelessness out there. And uh, we have the answer, don't we? <clears throat> we? There's no reason for us to live in fear. Uh, God has not given us a spirit of fear. And uh, so we can, we can conquer through Christ all things that come our way because of him. And I hope that's, that's what you believe today. I hope Christ is your Savior. I hope you look forward to this morning and worshiping the Lord uh, together. And uh, I wanted to make mention before I read some scripture this morning, uh, you should have had in your seat a white sheet of paper. Um, and on that white sheet of paper, there is a description of our small group ministry that uh, will be uh, starting back on January the 10th. And there's a description of the classes that will be offered. These are offered on Sunday nights. And um, they start at 6.30. We will uh, start back on January the 10th. And there are two classes that are open. One has already uh, is already full, but um, there are two that are available there for you to consider. I trust you'll do that. You know, one of the things, one of the challenges that we've had uh, this year is gathering together in smaller groups, actually on Sunday mornings with Sunday school, and then in terms of a small group ministry. But the Lord has opened back most of our ministries for us, and one of those is small group ministry on Sunday night. So I would encourage you uh, to be involved in those small group ministries. It's an opportunity for you to fellowship and get to know other people within the body. A closer, closer time together. So I trust you'll take advantage of that as you um, consider what the Lord might want you to do. And you can read the description of the classes there that are being offered. I wanted to... Um, this morning, begin our time by reading um, Luke's account of the birth of Christ. And so, I'd like you to take your Bibles and go to Luke chapter 2. And we want to read together um, Luke's account of the birth of Christ. And I'd like for you to stand as, as I read these verses this morning. Luke chapter 2, beginning... In verse 1, it says, Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. And that journey would have been about 70 miles as the crow flies. So you think about that in terms of what was going on then, and kind of adds a little bit more to, to the story in terms of um, thinking about Mary and Joseph in that journey. Then it says, verse 6, while they, they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And in the same region, 
there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Verse 15, And when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And so they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. I did a word study on that word treasured. It's not very used very much in the New Testament. That word means to keep carefully. That's the idea. So when it says she treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart, it means she kept carefully everything that was going on. Um, I told him first service, and this will resonate with those that are older, those that are younger, you did not have this privilege, but there were not always cell phones. And one of the things you're able to do with a cell phone is take pictures, right? You have them right there. You, you quick touch the button, there it is. Well, when I was growing up, you didn't have cell phones and you had cameras. And you know what you had to do with that film? You had to go get that film developed and they gave you pictures, and you were able to put those pictures in what we call picture albums. Have you young people ever seen a picture album with those pages that would fold back and they would, you could put the pictures there and you'd slide the, the uh, paper back over it and it was glued down literally, right, for the rest of life. Well, we just recently moved and one of the things I never asked Teresa but did think about was, hey, babe, do we really need all those albums from years and years ago and guess what she said yes dear we need those album albums from years and years ago because they contain pictures things that I treasure right and that's the that's the word here that's the idea that Mary treasured she kept carefully all these things pondering them in her heart and then verse 20 says the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Aren't we thankful? Aren't we thankful, people? I mean, you think about, I was telling them first service, I had a funeral to do Friday, and um, I, I, just, I just looked at all those folks that were in that room, and I told them, I said, the most important thing, that you can know is whether you belong to Christ. Really, there's nothing else that matters. Because when we pass, we're not taking anything with us. But we have the hope, right? 
that no matter, because we know the Lord has our days. They were num numbered before we were even formed, right? And so the Lord knows them. And we need to pray that as believers in Christ, we will walk in victory in this life, knowing that he's in control of all of it. Our days are already ordained, and we have a message to tell to the people in our world today who are fearful, who aren't sure what's going to happen to them. I was, uh, we had elders meeting uh, Thursday night, and while we were talking about Christmas and the, you know, the real meaning of Christmas, and Buddy was talking at that time, and right about that time I got a text message, and there was a member in our congregation who had a relative that was saved at 92 years of age, right? So we look at people and we don't, we don't need to go, well, they just, you know, hey, the Lord's in control of all that. Our responsibility is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I hope that uh, you'll take that challenge and I'll take that challenge as we come up upon Christmas and think about the greatest gift that's ever been given to us. Let's bow and let's pray together. Lord, there's no way to thank you enough for all that you've done for us for all that you do for us and for all that you will do for us Lord help us to live with a hope of your coming and it's not like a hope so like the world but it's a confidence we know you're coming your word declares it and we believe it um, and I pray Lord that if there's one in here today that doesn't believe that that has not trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, that today could be that day of salvation. And Lord, I just want to pray that you would bless this service. I pray for Dr. Hughley as he brings forth your word, Lord, that you would minister through him to us. And having listened to the first service, what a tremendous message, what a tremendous challenge. I pray that our hearts are open and receptive to what you have for us today through your word, through your messenger. And may everything that we do today bring honor and glory to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. All this I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
And surely the night Christ was born was a silent night, but it was holy night. We think of something holy just like the Lord is holy. He is unique. He's set apart. He's like none other. Obviously, that night was like no other night that man has ever witnessed before. It was the night our Savior was born, the same Savior who came, who died on the cross, who was resurrected, who ascended into heaven and will come back one day. But it was a holy night. And so let's worship this morning as we think about that holy, holy night and our holy, holy Savior. Let's, uh, let's worship today as we sing through these uh, uh, songs that we, we love to sing. And we'll start with the first Noel, and then Rachel's going to sing the second Noel in a little while. But, uh, but anyway, let's all stand and let's sing on that, may we? <laughs>
love incarnate, love divine, star and angels gave the sign. Bow to babe on bended knee, the Savior of humanity. Unto us a child is born, he shall reign forevermore. Noel, Noel, come and see what God has done.
certainly appreciate the wonderful song service and the special number rendered by Rachel. <clears throat> it was a blessing to our hearts. As always, I'm happy to minister the word here in our church, and I'm thankful for this opportunity to do so this morning. As we begin our service in the word, I want you to turn to the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah, chapter 9. This is the passage of scripture that the Lord placed in my mind and heart as I thought about what I should share on this particular day. Isaiah was a prophet that lived some 700 years plus before the time of Christ. He ministered primarily in the southern kingdom. But when you read his entire book, you see that he ministered to other nations as well. But in Isaiah 9, you will see that he has a wonderful message concerning a coming person, a savior and a ruler. So follow with me as I read from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. And therein we read as follows. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness, will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. Thou shalt multiply the nation. Thou shalt increase their gladness. They will be glad in thy presence, as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou shalt break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders. The rod of their oppressor is at the battle of Midian, recalling the great victory of Gideon as they fought against the Midianites. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning fuel for the fire. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and evermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Let's ask God for his mercy and blessing as we continue in our service. Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to address you as Father, knowing you are Lord of all. We thank you that you spoke and the worlds were formed by your power. 
We thank you that through the ages you have disclosed yourself, your creation. We thank you for the great prophets of the Old Testament, the writers of the Scripture, both Old and New Testament. And we believe, as your word says, the entrance of thy word gives light and it makes wise the simple. Father, we desire your wisdom, your blessing, your mercies in our consideration today. We pray that you'll be glorified and we pray that the needs of our hearts will be met by you as we fellowship together. We pray all of this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It was new, and it was in our house, and it was beautiful to look at. Where did it come from? Why was it there? What was its purpose? How would it be utilized? It began as an idea in Julie's mind. And as Julie taught, I could tell that she was very interested. She wanted it very much to be in our home. And something I've learned as a husband, you do all you possibly can, guys, to help your wife be happy. I thought I'd hear some feminine amens. <laughs> Y'all were kind of slow on that this morning. But it began in Julie's mind. And it was something. Well, she wanted to know, could we afford it? And we agreed that it was a modest price and it wasn't beyond our means. When we agreed that it could be acquired, she was off quickly. And she was back very quickly. I tell you what, her interest had reached high-octane levels. And she was off, and one would think she had ridden into Batmobile. She was back so quickly. And sure enough, there she came into our living room with a box in hand, placed it on the floor, began to open it. And because she had to go to another responsibility, she left things in Bethy's charge. She said to our daughter, please take care of this. I was sitting across the room reading and reflecting and not paying a whole lot of attention to what was happening. After a while, Bethy alerted my attention and I saw something that was stunning to me and incredibly wonderful to look at. It was the most beautiful Christmas tree I thought I had ever seen. It was shaped in a perfect cone. It was tall and a little taller than Harley. And it had magnificent lights on it and they flashed intermittently in colors of white and yellow and red and gold and blue. And I sat there and drank it all in. Christmas trees have long been a part of our culture. We see them in homes. 
We see them in places of business. We look upon them in churches and in restaurants and even in the capital city. We have one. When I was a boy growing up, we never had a Christmas tree in the home. Oh, yes, we had the presents and grandma's gourmet cooking, but we had no Christmas tree. Along about the time when I was nine or ten years old, somehow I got hold of a green round wreath. In the middle of it was a light, and it had an attached cord. I plugged the cord in. Suddenly, I had a little light, and I was delighted by it as a child. I hung it in a window near my bed so that I could look upon it with pleasure. When I grew a bit older, I learned more fully of another light, a light that would be the focus of our attention this morning. When I was at the age of 16, I heard and understood the message of the light of the world who had died for my sins, who, though buried, was raised from the dead. And if I would trust in him as my Lord and Savior, I could become his child. And I became acquainted with the light of the world. Now, we're celebrating Christmas. And we've read a passage of Scripture that focuses very much on the light. I'm calling him in this message the Christmas light. And in that the scripture unfolds various facts or activities in which the Savior engaged. I raised a question. Why did the Christmas light come? And as you think through the message of the Christmas light and Isaiah's passage, you discover the heartbeat of what he has to say. The Lord Jesus, the Christmas light, came to fulfill his mission. And we will see shortly that there are three aspects of his mission discussed in Isaiah chapter 9. Now, a short while ago, Pastor Thad asked me if I would speak today. Of course, I'm always happy to preach the word as part of my calling from years ago. And I'm very happy to have opportunity to preach from the treasures of Scripture. And he said to me, Dr. Hugley, I, I want you to preach a Christmas sermon. I've never heard you preach one before. Well, in over 60 years of preaching, God alone knows how many Christmas sermons I have preached. But I was happy to accede to his request. And not long after his request, a passage of Scripture came to mind, Isaiah 9. And as I pondered that passage of Scripture, I became more and more convinced that indeed the Lord wanted me to speak from that portion of scripture. Now, a while back, when I was speaking to the elders, I gave an address on plagues and pandemics as recorded 
in the scripture. And after I had finished, one of the brothers spoke up and said, that was vintage Hughley. I never heard that phrase before. I assumed that my brother meant it as a kind compliment, and I appreciated it. And though you will see some, I call them heavyweight theologians and Hebrew scholars quoted in the notes that you have, what you're going to hear today is vintage Hughley. Win, lose, or draw. Sink or swim. What you go is the real me. And I'm the first to say it ain't very hot. <laughs> but as much as in me is, as Paul said, I'm ready to preach the gospel. A tremendous question. Why did the Christmas light come? to fulfill his mission, which was threefold. And we want to look at what the scripture says about his mission. He came, first of all, to expel darkness, as recorded in verses 1 and 2. And we'll talk shortly about the two other purposes for which he came. Now, to explain all of the purposes for which our Lord Jesus came, would require scores and scores of books, an untold number of messages and sermons and Bible lessons. We're going to focus on the three that are in our text. He came to expel darkness. How would he do that? First, by ending gloom. And there's a wonderful definition in your notes about gloom. And it reads, but it rather expresses the complexities of a state of sin and misery, including outward and inward darkness. J.A. Alexander, he was a great Bible scholar that ministered in the early 1800s and eventually became a professor at Princeton Seminary, which in that day was a great Orthodox evangelical school that trained preachers and people for God's service. And so that's what he says, that the gloom was going to be ended. That gloom had also been complicated by the invasion of the Assyrian army. The Assyrian army was under the leadership of a wicked king by the name of Tiglath-Pileser. Tiglath-Pileser's armies came in and ultimately destroyed the northern kingdom, took off many of its peoples into exile, destroyed many others, and the kingdom of Israel ceased to exist as a then-called nation of Israel. So he came to expel darkness by ending gloom. Now what about the two names, Zebulun and the land of Naphtali? God had been treating them with contempt. You see, because of their sin, he had permitted judgment to come upon them. And they were in a sad state of affairs, and sometimes I wonder, how long is God's mercy going to exist in reference to our nation as well? He may treat us with contempt 
far greater than we could ever imagine. Nephtali and Zebulun were tribal peoples in the northern region of the Jewish people at that time. And they had come under those hammer blows that I described. But later on, he'll make it glorious by the way of the sea, the other side of Jordan, Galilee, of the Gentiles. Wow. What does all that mean? Well, you see, the Egyptians and the Assyrians had a route by which they traveled near the Mediterranean Sea and in that region. And God says that he's going to make it glorious in the future. Why does he call it Galilee of the Gentiles? Because as a result of the much travel through this region, some Gentiles settled there, and hence it is called Galilee of the Gentiles. We'll hear more about Galilee as we proceed through the message. But secondly, he would express light. Now I want you to understand more fully how that prophecy was fulfilled. And if you'll turn with me over in the Gospel of Matthew to chapter 4, we want to read some wonderful verses there that tell us more fully about this statement of Scripture. Matthew chapter 4, beginning with verse 12 and reading through verse 17. What does it say? Listen as I read. Chapter 4. They said to him, Bethlehem of Judea, thus it is bitten by the prophets, and you, Bethlehem. Sorry, I'm in the wrong, wrong passage. All right. Yes, chapter 4. I beg your pardon. All right. We read there in this portion of Scripture, verse 12, chapter 4. Now, when he heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee and leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. And here, Matthew writes of that passage of Scripture I read. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. Those who were sitting in the land and shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. So the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. That's in the very region where our Lord Jesus Christ began his earthly ministry. And what light was spread. The Savior in time preached all over the country, healed the sick, raised the dead, restored sight, restored hearing, cast out devils. The light had come. And before he left, he trained 12 men. And Lord of mercy, he launched the greatest religious movement in history. 
There are more professing Christians in the world than any other one religion. It is far larger and greater than Islam, who has been spread many times in history by the sword. And the message of Jesus has been spread through faithful emissaries of the gospel. And not only that, he promised to build his church and among the early leaders of his church, Peter preaching in Pentecost when thousands were saved, preaching in the household of Cornelius, the Gentile, many of them were saved. He raised up Paul and a team of workers and they preached in Greece and Asia Minor and Europe. The light was continuing to spread. And God raised up others through history. One thinks to Savannah Rolla, an Italian fiery evangelist who preached with fire and zeal and people came to Jesus through his preaching. There were others in history as the light spread. One of my favorite stories is that of Alapin. He was a Syrian. He took in the 600s a band with him and went off to faraway China. We can only imagine how long it took them to get there. But there he preached the gospel. I have read translations of some of the hymns that those believers sang. They sang about the Trinity. They believed in the eternality of Jesus. They called upon God to send down the salvation wrath from on high to save us from the eternal fire. It's glorious. And we don't stop there. There were others in history whose names are wonderfully significant. We can only imagine what God did through the reformers. Calvin, Luther, Swingley, Melanchthon, and others. They helped to establish the evangelical gospel of Jesus. The just shall live by faith. And not by all of the practices and observance of the then church. We call the R.C. Church. And many came. Not long after them, a group of people arose who were called Moravians under a German nobleman by the name of Zinzendorf. And Zinzendorf and his band were used of God to take the gospel to many places, among them slaves in South America, Eskimos in the Northland. And their zeal for the Lord and their testimony influenced a young Brit by the name of John Wesley. And you know the story of John Wesley and Charles, writing many songs, preaching in the outdoors because the established church wouldn't let John Wesley preach in them. And he went outside and he established little Bible study groups that in time became churches. And he began to ordain people to the ministry. God used them to bring the gospel to this land and others before them. And the light was continuing to spread. Why? Isaiah 49, 6 says, It's too small a focus for you to be a light just for the Jews. I'll give you a light for the Gentiles. 
Jesus said, You will be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. Flight. J. Hudson Taylor off to China. Many to Africa. Adlai Stevenson, a former presidential candidate in our country, when he visited and heard the story of some of the communities in Africa, he said, my God, I did not know that so many missionaries died here. They laid down their lives so that Africa could hear. When I was the age of many of the young people here, God brought the light into my heart, went off to a Christian college, you know its name. There I began to wonder, what does God want me to do? Where does he want me to go? And as I prayed and received counsel and guidance and corresponded with missionaries, the conviction came that you are supposed to go to Alaska. My late wife Barbara and I loaded up a station wagon that a church and some Christian friends had provided for us. We set out on a 5,100-mile trip. Over a 1,000 miles of dirt and bumpy roads in western Canada. But after 10 and a half year, a days, we got there. <laughs> Felt like 10 and a half years. <laughs> but after 10 and a half days, and by the way, we were traveling with a baby boy that was seven months old. And sometimes we would swap off driving because he was one of those squirmy kids. And, you know, you just couldn't hold him still. And we'd swap off driving so we could rest a little bit and trying to take care of his squirm. And so we got there, and God gave us 12 years of ministry. What we were doing, spreading the light. We're just ordinary people. I, from a little town in Alabama, I thought a fork was a stabbing device when I was growing up. I, it took me a while to learn nice manners at the table. And to correct my grammar because I butchered the king's English. I, I just didn't know how to talk with correct grammar. But God let us in Alaska have the privilege of ministering with some wonderful people. And in time, God gave us souls. And he allowed, uh, uh, permitted us to establish several churches that are still functioning today. Blessed be God. One of the boys saved in that children's home. I was administrator of it for about three years. God saved him, and he became an outstanding Christian, went off to a Christian college, ultimately became a missionary to Bolivia. The light was spreading. Another of them came to Christ in that children's home. He went off to Moody Bible Institute and trained to be a missionary pilot, which he became. And he's today pastoring a church in Alaska that our mission helped to establish. Light was spreading. In the church, I was privileged to serve for close to seven years. A precious family came to the Lord. 
through our vacation Bible school outreach. And a little boy that stuck his head from out from under his mama when I knocked on the door to tell them about the vacation Bible school we had going. The mother promised she would bring her children. And that little boy grew up, and blessed be God, he became a chaplain, a military chaplain, ministering the word of God. The father in that family was wavered spiritually. He came back to the Lord. The mother in that family, she trusted the Savior. Light was spreading, and we give God all the glory. We thank him that he came to expel darkness, and he's done that through the ages by people like you and me. Well, there is a second reason for which our Lord came, and it is recorded in verses 3 through 5. He came to establish Israel. I think of the corny song that Willie Nelson is known to sing, You Were Always on My Mind. Maybe if I had a guitar up here this morning, I could maybe get a few lines from the song. But something I want to tell you, dear friends, ever since the time of Abraham, God Almighty has had his eye on Israel. And though they have suffered through the ages, there's coming a time when that nation will be established. And what will happen? He will provide blessing to Israel. Blessing, blessing. Now a break occurs between verses 2 and 3. The light shines on the people. And the nation is going to be multiplied. I want to tell you something. The nation wasn't multiplied after the time of Isaiah. The nation wasn't multiplied after the time of Jesus. The nation hasn't been multiplied in history. They were pressed by scores and scores of people. Oppressed, sent into exile under Nebuchadnezzar. Thousands of them were taken off. Daniel among them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to Babylon. And there Daniel, as a man, continued his faithful ministry. But when they came back, they were again oppressed by the Syrians. An awful individual named Antiochus Epiphanes was one of the most violent, vicious men who ever lived. He so hated the Jews and their religion that he sacrificed a pig in their temple. They were oppressed by the Romans. Finally, they were driven out of their homeland in 70 A.D. A few came back, and ultimately all were sent. And all of history after that time, Jewish people were oppressed and opposed by the followers of Islam in other religious groups and countries, the czars of Russia, the communists who followed them, and the worst of them all, Hitler and the Nazis, killing violently some six million of them. 
Yes, they came back to their homeland, but they've known anything but peace and blessing. And a key principle of the Scripture emerges here. And what is that principle? God wants people to be blessed in view of what will happen in the future. And I submit to you that's what he wanted to happen here. Yes, you are being oppressed now, but blessing is coming in the future. That's the point Paul makes in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 and following. When he talked about the coming rapture, he said, comfort one another with these words. What did David say in Psalm 23? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. We're to be comforted. We have our aches and pains. Like many of you, I've lost loved ones very close to me. A child, a wife. God comforts us in the present in view of what is going to happen in the future. So a key principle, well, God has outlined something special in terms of blessing. If you flip over just a few pages to Isaiah chapter 12, let's notice what he says in verses 1 through 6. Then you will say on that day, and it's talking about Messiah's great coming kingdom, I will give thanks to thee, O Lord, for although thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away. Thou dost comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and song. And he has become my salvation. Therefore, you will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation. And in that day, you will say, give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Make them remember that his name is exalted. Praise the Lord in song. He has done excellent things. Let this be known throughout the earth. Cry aloud and shout for joy, O inhabitant of Zion. For great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Great blessing. Great blessing awaits Israel. They are always on his mind. A second way, he establishes Israel by providing victory. And this is going to be in the future. We observe in verses 4 and 5. Thou shalt break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors at the battle of Midian. Isaiah is talking about what is going to happen when Almighty God, Almighty God establishes his people in the land. Their enemies will vanish. Now, perhaps like many of you, I've read about Eisenhower on the verge of the great invasion at Normandy. Up to that time, the greatest invasion 
of history. I've also read about MacArthur when he exhorted his troops and exhorted them to move forward with the righteous grail of holy victory. He prayed God's almighty blessing upon them. And indeed, they were conquerors and liberators, great conquerors. But there's coming an invasion force that is greater than all invasion forces. In Revelation chapter 19, and turn there for a moment, Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16, we have an outline of what is going to happen there. It starts off reading this way, and I saw heaven open. Now this is after the saints have been raptured up into heaven. And this is when the saints come back to earth with the King Messiah. Heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat upon it, called faithful and true and in righteousness, he judges and wages war. And his eyes are as a flame of fire, and upon his head are many diadems, and a hand had a name written upon him, which no one knows but himself. And he, had a, he was clothed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And his armies, which are in heaven, clothed in linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. That's the saints, the people who will have been raptured. And if you can't ride a horse now, you'll know how then. Hang on. You'll know how to do it. They are white horses because that was a symbol a victorious one. When the Roman generals won their wars, they came back and paraded through the city on white steeds. So it's a symbol of victory. And so the Armageddon conqueror, compared to all other conquerors, there's nothing. There's some special results of victory. F.C. Jennings, another great Old Testament commentator and Hebrew scholar, he said, talking about Israel and the kingdom, but it increases, and that throne seen in Psalm 2 grows to a psalm of Psalm 8, throne, uh, throne of Psalm 8, where we see everything on earth put under his feet as the son of man. Thou shalt multiply the peoples, and glorious things are going to happen in response to our Lord's ministry. So he comes, first of all, to expel darkness. He comes, secondly, to establish Israel. But there's a third reason outlined in the text, and that is to effect peace. And that is summarized in verses 6 and 7. And here we're drew, uh, introduced to a wondrous statement. The prophet writes, A child will be born to us. 
a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and on and on. In preparation for today, I listened to the great oratorio, Handel's Great Messiah. I sat and listened, soaked in its music, its great themes, its wonderful lines. And one of those lines, a question is asked, what child is this? And I began to ponder that question. What child is this? And as I thought through the scriptures, many answers began to come. Who was that child? What was he like? Why would Handel ask, what child is this? And in the scriptures, we read a great host of answers. We read in John chapter 1, he is the word who is God almighty, God incarnate, God in flesh. We read in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, he is the woman's seed who would bruise the head of Satan, a fatal blow to the evil one against all causes of good and righteousness. And when Joseph, uh, rather, uh, when uh, the sons of Israel were receiving their word from their father Jacob. One of them by the name of Judah got his prophecy. And he said, the scepter, the kingly, the kingly insignia, the scepter will not depart from Judah until Shiloh comes. Shiloh means he's whose right it is. And it's an illusion an early prophetic word about the coming of Shiloh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's more. We read in Isaiah chapter 7, 14. He was the virgin-born son of God. And why was he virgin-born? God needed a perfect sacrifice. And had he been totally the son of his father, Joseph, he would have had a sin nature as an inheritor of Adam's sin. And so he was virgin born and thus qualifying to be a perfect sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. In Psalm chapter two, uh, Luke chapter 1 verse 35, when Mary was frightened and the angel Gabriel spoke to her, he said he will be called the Son of God. In Psalm chapter 2, the prophecy of King David, a son was coming to whom homage, to whom homage would be due. He is that son. In Micah, Micah chapter 5, verse 2. He was a coming ruler that would be born in Bethlehem. You may remember when the wise men came to ancient Judea. 
They said, where is he born king of the Jews? And King Herod's cage was being rattled severely. He called in the scholars and he said, where's the Messiah going to be born? In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophets. So he came out of Bethlehem, a little town that was the home region of King David. And he's the coming ruler to be born. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, he is Jesus who will save his people from their sins. That's what the angel said to, jo uh, to uh, uh, Joseph in a dream. He is Messiah the Prince, said Daniel chapter 9, verse 25. He's Messiah. He's the Prince. He's the Word made flesh. The only begotten of the Father, and that word begotten is a powerful, powerful word. It means that there is absolutely no one in heaven or on earth that's a begotten. He's the only one born, the only unique Son of God. The Lord Jesus Christ, he's the Savior who is Christ the Lord in Luke chapter 2. Verse 11, and I love the passage in Luke chapter 2, verse 32, when Joseph and Mary came to the temple to present their little boy, the godly Simeon took that little baby in his arms and held him up. God had revealed to Simeon that he would not die until he had seen the Messiah and here's what he said, Lord, let your servant depart in peace. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation and the glory of thy people Israel. Wow. That's who he is. He's the light of revelation to the Gentiles and he's the glory of Israel. Past week, a couple of weeks ago, I was in a doctor's office and as I, I hope, often try to do, I try to witness to people that attend me. And there was a lady attending me, and I, I said to her, did, if, did you, do you know Jesus? And she said, well, yes, he did. He was a Jew. I, and I went on to talk with her further, and she said, well, I'm, I'm a Jew. <laughs> well, of course, uh, she was Jewish, and not that open to hear what I had to say, but she at least was kind. So sometime I have opportunity to present the gospel when I'm in a doctor's office. Well, Matthew 2, 2, he's the king of the Jews. The wise men knew that. And in Luke 2, 52, he's the child who increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. So, he comes to establish Israel. Blessing. And the special result of victory in F.C. Jennings is another great Old Testament scholar. It increases, and the throne seen in verse 2 grows to the throne of verse 8. Everything put on earth is the Son of Man. 
Now, there's a third reason in our text why the Christmas light came. Before we get to it, let me note with you what might be our response today. Handel asks, what child is this? We ought to note with an exclamation point, what a child he was. No one in history grew up to make the difference in the world that the Lord Jesus Christ has made, healing people and doing so many wonderful things that he did. Jesus began his earthly ministry after a time of fasting, 40 days of fasting and prayer. Then he started out his ministry in the very region of Zebulun Naphtali. Started off in Nazareth and shortly thereafter was in Capernaum. And what did he do? He preached, recruited, and trained workers healed, performed scores of miracles, forgave sinners, promised to build his church, died for the sins of the world, rose from the dead, promised to come again. Do you believe he's coming? (laughs) Yes, bless God, I sure do. He is coming again. And MacArthur spoke of breaking through the enemy perimeter as he left the Philippines. He said to, the, said to the reporters in Australia that he broke through and I shall return. And the Filipino people were much encouraged by what MacArthur had said, I shall return. Well, our Lord Jesus Christ broke through and he said, I shall return. Bible says lift up your heads for your redemption draws nigh wouldn't it be something if I didn't get to finish this sermon wow we'd be out of here well he came thirdly to effect peace and what a great question Handel asks and what an exclamation but he also came as a ruler What's that all about? We've had all kinds of earthly rulers, Caesars, czars, dictators, presidents, queens, kings, prime ministers, earthly rulers. But the government of Messiah will be on his shoulder, refers figurative to a kingly robe be worn by Messiah in your notes. John A. Martin, George might know, he was a longtime professor at Dallas Theological Seminary and a great Old Testament scholar. Along with reading behind his writings and that of many others, I was blessed by his statement. Yes, there are all kinds of earthly rulers, Some of them had Messiah complexes like Hitler. He was so confident that he would establish a thousand-year reign that he had his architect to make drawings of what buildings would look like a thousand years in the future. 
Hitler's little kingdom fell in 12 years to ashes. But as the Hallelujah Chorus says, his kingdom is forever. He's a wonderful counselor. And those scriptures tell you and outline for you things about the Lord Jesus Christ. One of them says in Colossians 2, 3, In him was hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Sometimes in my imagination, now be careful with your imagination. He needs to be brought under control. But this is hugely imagination. And I got it out of First Opinions 5, 9. You ever been there? <laughs> This is Hugo's imagination. Can't you imagine a time in the future when there will be some kind of network called the Messiah's Hour? Oh, it'll be sophisticated and far beyond our modern technology. And people will want to know his teachings. And there will be people who say, we want to go up to Jerusalem with you they take the arm of a Jew. We know that God is with you. And we want to go hear the teaching there. It's wonderful. A wonderful counselor. Mighty God. The Hebrews called him El Gibor. The mighty God. God the mighty one. He has no limitations to our, his power. We need to remember that when we pray. Our Father who art in heaven. His powers are unlimited. Mighty God. Emphasizing Messiah's military power. You know, I have to move on. My time is running away from me. I know y'all are anxious to get to your noon meal. But let's finish up this message and see what else we can find out. Prince of Peace. Everlasting Father, illustrated by Hilkiah, and that should be Hilkiah, father of. That was my mistake. It was not Miss Amanda's, y'all. She prepared my notes. And by the way, I told Amanda when I was looking over the notes, I said, Amanda, if we could preach half as good as you can prepare sermonic notes, we'd be on our way. And I do appreciate hers and the staff help of others in the office. Wonderful. Everlasting Fathers. Talking about a man who would be a leader in the country and he would have a fatherly profile about him. And also compassionate earthly fathers as a father pitieth his children. So the Lord pitieth them. I remember when my older son played football. Now, I remember I picked him up one day after practice. He went to Briarwood. And he was hungry as a starving bear and thirsty. And I took him immediately to a restaurant. And I watched him literally make a hamburger disappear. But I derived great joy as a father, being able to care for a need of my children, and of course, my later children, whom you all know so well. I delight in meeting their needs. Well, that's like God Almighty, even more so. 
and he's Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. Don't miss what Alexander says about the Hebrew word there. It denotes not only peace as opposed to war, intestine strife, or turbulence, but welfare, prosperity in general, as opposed to want or sorrow. A great age is coming. J.A. Alexander was a great commentator and writer in the early 1900s. So, all of that and more, the zeal of the Lord of hosts is going to bring that all to pass. Jehovah Sabaoth, he will perform it. And the promises of God regarding that great age will come to pass. Well, everyone, how do we conclude what has been said today? I want to make reference to what scholars call a prophetic purpose. That means describing the future as if it had already happened. And I want you to know that Isaiah wrote every word of this chapter and the verses I've read except the very last phrase in prophetic perfect. What did it mean? He described the future as if it had already happened. So certain was he that God's promises would come to pass. I thought about my individual life in preparing this. What do I do in sharing the gospel with people and in witnessing to them? I thought about our church's life and all of the things we're doing, and don't we bless God for every avenue of service the Lord gives us through our many, many ministries, somewhat curtailed in the present because of COVID, but another day is coming. And I ask myself, and we might all ask ourselves, is there some additional outreach for the church? Why did the Christmas light come? It came, he came, to fulfill his mission that was threefold. That threefold mission was to expel darkness. It was to establish Israel. It was to effect peace. The Bible says in the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Speak to us through it. Cause it to bless our hearts. For Jesus' sake, amen. Thank you, Dr. Hegel. So 38 years ago, uh, this fall, I showed up on the campus of Southeastern Bible College and George Morand was there and Dr. Hugh Hugan. As you can tell, he is a great orator. One of the classes that we were privileged to take was a speech class. And guess who taught that class? If you're guessing between George and Dr. Hugan. It was Dr. Huglin. And he would give his little introduction, and then one of us would get up and speak. And oh my goodness, 
The introduction was perfect. The speeches, not so much. So, Dr. Hughley, thank you so much for allowing the Lord to shine your light, to shine his light through you. It's just been wonderful to be a part of his life and George's life over the years. And uh, I'm so thankful for their ministry and the ministry of many men who can fill this pulpit uh, week to week. I look forward to being back next week in the pulpit. Um, I will be talking about the Lord of Compassion. I want, us, I want you to think about that term compassion throughout the week, something that we need to consider. And we're going to look at an example in the life of our Lord. So I trust you'll be back. I hope you have a Merry Christmas and uh, that you're able to share with somebody this week, maybe, that the Lord will bring across your path. Share with somebody about the light, about the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. You are dismissed.